1: we come around the table this morning I think we can say that the table is a representative of the fellowship that Christians have in Christ as we remember his his work but always in the fellowship of and I think the best passage in the scriptures concerning fellowship we have in Christ is found in the first uh, epistle of John John 1 as it's known it says this that which was from beginning that which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes and which we contemplate And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And the life has been manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and report to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has been manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we report to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is indeed with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we to you that our joy may be full. This is the word of the Apostle to all that read the Scriptures concerning true fellowship round the table. Let us pray. Father, as we consider the emblems and remember the words of our Lord concerning these emblems, how they represent his body and his blood that was shed for the, for the new covenant, we, we thank you, Father, for our understanding of this. That we may come together as a people, remembering the Lord's sacrifice as we do. And being obedient, Father, to your will in all things through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
0: Well, good morning. We uh, we ended up in Acts eight during our class this morning, and speaking about the eunuch and Philip, an incredible thing that took place there. The eunuch trying to understand a passage in Isaiah, and of course, his question is how How can I how will I understand without a guide? And that's that's an important concept. Faith comes through hearing. We're not born with it. We have to learn. That's a that's a that's a big process. It's one of the big things that so many of the Jews throughout the gospel had such a leg up on, uh, especially us today, because of their their rich history and their knowledge of their history. It was their whole culture. It was their Old form of government. Our need to understand, to know, to learn, to acquire this knowledge is great. And that's one of, that's by far my most proud, I don't want to say I'm not pr- prideful, but I'm, I'm proud of the work that this body's done. I'm, pr- I'm thankful for the people who have taught me, the people I've learned from. Thankful and happy to help wherever I can. We stand on the word, on the truth. Unlike, unlike the eunuch, we have the Gospels. We have the entire written word of God, and every, and just about every language you can you can speak today. That is a. a you talk about providence. That's providence. We have God's written word. And it's proved over and over in times through through things in, in history that we learn things like uh, the evidence of a flood, the, the evidence of what happened all throughout the history of Jerusalem and that whole area, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Dead Sea. That, that those are truly monumental pieces of evidence that we can believe on, believe in, and have and build our faith in, and that is what we do. Here at this time, we dedicate our funds so we continue to build that foundation, lay that foundation, and build upon it. That's the process that we're working through. We're not perfect. the The restoration movement, those those church or those church fathers in in those days, they were not perfect. Like Neil was talking about, they were coming, they were trying to undo a lot of their own baggage. We all have baggage. We're not we're not perfect, but we're trying to be. And we can only get through there through the work thank you
1: Well, we have our message to like to mention uh, someone we've been praying for, uh, James McClure, who's a brother-in-law of a friend of ours, um, Amy Whitner, and he's doing better, um, which is he was doing very poorly and and now is doing better. So that's that's a wonderful thing that that is occurring for them, and I'm sure they're elated by it. So we're thankful to get that good news from them. Our lesson today is found in Luke chapter 6, in a, a number of verses there within that chapter you know i think about the song uh... when i think about jesus of nazareth the one sent from god think of that old hymn uh, that has the phrase in it more about jesus what i know uh... that always caught my my uh... uh thinking whenever we i would sing it as a young man More about Jesus. What I knew, and I just wondered uh, then when I would know all there is to know. (laughs) Uh, And I wondered if anybody did. You know, I thought about that because I had a I had a desire to know more about it. So, uh, and I realized that it takes a long time to know everything about Jesus. But as we go on, um, I think we find the more we learn about Jesus, we can say together in that that Jesus indeed was sent from heaven by his Father. I think we can say amen to that. And we are, it is very important for us to proclaim this, that statement along with the, the apostles. And, of course, for the Jewish people, that idea of <clears throat> Jesus of Nazareth being sent from heaven had a big meaning. It, had a lot, it said a lot to them, very important for them. But as Jesus traveled the countryside in Palestine and the land of the Jews, if you will, wherever that was in that area. He would always leave them with the idea and the the statement that he was sent from the Father. And this was something he wanted them to believe. But you see, that word, to them, is the same thing it is to us. It's faith, faith in who Jesus of Nazareth is. Is he the one sent? Is he the Messiah? Is he our Redeemer? Yes. That was the the word. Now, as Jesus traveled in his ministry, he spent, of course, a lot of time with the Jewish uh, uh, leaders of the country, also a lot of the the leaders of the synagogues, the priests, (coughs) the Pharisees, and, and on. In, in chapter 6, the first five verses, here's what it says. But it came to pass on the uh, second first Sabbath that he went through cornfields and his disciples were plucking the ears and eating them, rubbing, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said to them, Why do you do... Why do you what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, this this was something the Pharisees specialized in, okay? And they wanted to criticize the work of Jesus if they could. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read so much as this? What David did when he hungered, he and those with him, uh, how he entered into the house of God and took the showbread and ate and gave it to those also who were with him, which is not lawful that any eat unless the priests alone. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath also now that's how jesus referred to himself the son of man now that idea that if you might have noticed here talking about um the sabbath where it makes a statement the second first sabbath well what's that mean it sounds like a contradiction of terms but the second first sabbath is the sabbath following the great sabbath and what is that the passover This is the next one. So it gives you a time and uh, a place, a time frame of what time of the year it was there. Uh, But so it's it's showing us that. Now we know there are seven Sabbaths, uh, including the, the Great Sabbath. And then it is followed by Pentecost on the first day of the week. That's 50 days now this was a jewish mainstay and uh, all of these uh, things were understood so it give you a real time frame that's why that's there so it means a lot um, you know the uh, the the law was confirmed to the jewish people in the wilderness on pentecost through moses and and the angels and the new covenant was also brought to us on Pentecost in A.D. 31. So God uses these things as as points of time where he does things for a reason. Now I wonder, would Jesus ask the... um, Jesus had an understanding of what they were trying to accuse him of because they said what his disciples were doing was, was unlawful on the Sabbath. Well, um, he wanted to know if they re- remembered or even knew of what David did with his men when they were hungry and they ate the showbread. And the showbread they ate was the older showbread that, that was, after it had been placed there, the next day then the priests, I believe, could, could use it as their own food but it was only to be eaten by the priest. But he came into the synagogue and took the bread, ate of himself, and gave it to his men. Why? <clears throat> well, because he was King David, and what he was doing was the work of God. And so this issue was, over, was overruled by David, and Jesus makes it very clear that he even over he is even above that because he he elevated the son of man as the lord of the sabbath also he put the also on also on there so they understood that he was also the lord of everything else lord of the sabbath what is what the master the 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 despot if you will having total control, and uh, I think that's that's very interesting. Now we need to we need to remember this ourselves, and I'm going to share with you another passage here. We need to remember, and we must remember, not to put religious traditions, no matter how useful they are, many times ahead of The words of the Lord himself or his apostles. It can happen to us if we're not careful in the passing of time. You know, we can know it. We can start something and we pass it on down to the next generation without telling them what we've done. You see how it goes? It's a real problem. Now, let's look at John. John chapter 14. Uh, Verses 5 and 6. 5 through 7, rather. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath also. Oh. I said that. John John 14, 5 and 6. Yeah, John 14, 5 and 6. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless by me. If you had known me, you would have known also my Father. And henceforth you know him and have seen him. Jesus always goes on and just goes over that line that's already uh, wonderful to understand to give you even more uh, information. Now remember, um, in, an, in another place, it speaks of uh, uh, the idea of uh, this Sabbath, <clears throat> And Jesus proclaims to the Jews at that time, and it may even be the same account here in another gospel, that that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. And that's something I think that's also uh, profound in our understanding. It had become something of a, <clears throat> if you can imagine, uh the Sabbath was used as nearly a punishment at that point. You didn't, if you were caught doing something on the Sabbath that was unlawful, if you were too far away from your home, if you were trying to pull your cow out of the ditch that fell in, you were breaking the Sabbath. Of course, these things we understand, but Jesus made it very, very clear. Um about about this, and, and, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. About what it is that that is uh, about the Sabbath that makes it clear. <clears throat> so let's read on here through verse 11, verse 6. And it came to pass on another Sabbath also that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man there, and his right hand was withered. And the scribes, the Pharisees, were watching if he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find something of which to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, Get up and stand in the midst. And having risen up, he stood there. Jesus therefore said to them, I will ask you if it is lawful, on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy life. And having looked around on them all, he said to them, Stretch out thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as the other. But they, that is the Pharisees and scribes, were filled with madness and they spoke together amongst themselves what they should do to Jesus now we notice in this account when Jesus asked the question about the sabbath is it is it uh, is it lawful to do good or evil or to save life or destroy it on the sabbath he didn't get any response from his accusers because, you see, there's nothing they could say that would be the right answer. Um, and they're not going to, because they don't want anything done on the Sabbath, because that's their rules. But that is not what the Sabbath was about. Go back to Genesis, you'll find out the Sabbath is a rest, a time that man considers the things of his creator on the Sabbath. That was the idea. That's why there were certain restrictions. You know, the world is still looking for what or if Jesus did anything wrong. We don't find it, of course, in the scripture. And as far as I know, there's never been a book written that, uh, that uh, categorized all the wrong things that Jesus did. I just was looking at a, a, a movie the other night that, <clears throat> was speaking of Jesus as a, as a boy. By the way, we have no account. We, we couldn't uh, in any way uh, make a movie about the life of Jesus as a boy. We don't have anything in the scripture outside of a few passages that we have been given considering this. So it's, um, in this course, it's all about miraculous things that he did, it, but it, it's, not in, it's not true to, true to life. We know that Jesus received the Spirit from heaven, the full measure of the Spirit, the day he was baptized. That, that we know. So before that time, we can, we can be sure that he really did not do any miracles. Although that wouldn't mean that the things he said weren't profound. I think as we're looking for something that Jesus did wrong, you will ever only find what Jesus of Nazareth did right. That's what you're going to find. And if you're going to go on that search, you're going to run into exactly what I said. And that will be a blessing to you. It is the, the unanswered question that Jesus stated that, is, that grips me. Concerning the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good or evil, save life or destroy life? Because he knows this is the thinking of man. The tradition of the Jews has replaced the concept of the Sabbath. That is to think on the things of God instead of look to your neighbor and see what he's doing wrong today. That's what was happening. And it was, it was, it had made the Word of God void. It had, as far as the Sabbath went, it had profaned it in that way. You know I was thinking about uh, uh, so, uh, when I was thinking about this, and I asked Kathy to find the words of a song um, that was sung, I don't know how many years ago, back in the 1970s, I guess, or something. What the world needs now is love. Uh, it goes on and on with that statement. <clears throat> if you listen to the whole song, you'll find at the end is, is the, the words. I couldn't believe I re- could remember the words, but I did. And I, and I kept thinking, that I, I sure hope that isn't what was said. But at the end of the song, it's the uh, singer says, "Pro keeps pro- what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Uh, listen, Lord. If you only can. You know, in other words, the whole song is about the fact that the world's got everything it needs except enough love. Well, uh, (laughs) we do seem to have a shortage of it. uh, But we got everything else, though. But what was being asked? They were asking, and and to me, this is what Jesus is doing here. Think on the things of God. They want God to give the world more love? More love. More than he's given? That is the issue. Now, how is that going to be? In other words, I believe that God has shown, not only defined love, he has shown his love, true love, and as far as the shortage of love, it comes. Uh, we got to look, go look in the mirror for a while. There's where the shortage of God is love. Jesus said in chapter 17 of John, God is love. But man needs to find love and put it into the world, the wonderful world that God has created with, with. Uh, Mountains and and, and and hills enough, uh, oceans and rivers enough, all the things that are enough, but no love. Not enough love. And whose fault? It's God's fault. Well, this is the thinking, of course, of Christendom. This is sprung forth from the the teaching of Christendom, the total depravity of man and and, and the inability uh, and, and the, the whole issue um, that man has no ability. But man has every ability to love as God loves each, each person. Man has the ability. We have it or he wouldn't demand it of us. You read the scripture, you'll find in there where it says, we are to be holy as God is holy to, to be, we are to be as God is. Our, we are to love as God loves, and that's agape love. That's not just um, philanthropic love. If it weren't possible, would our Creator say that we should do it? I don't believe so. That reminds me of Brother David's teaching on uh, this idea of the ability um he said, I, I learned I learned from my dog how God deals with mankind. And he was talking about throwing a ball to his dog. And he had a dog a certain size and he he found a ball that he knew his, his dog could catch, so he he'd throw it out to the dog, go get it, bring it back. If you increase keep increasing the size of that ball There'll come a time when you throw that ball out and the dog's not going to be able to bring it back to you. That is not the God of our Bible. He has never asked us to do anything that's impossible for us to do. So when it comes to this idea of the Sabbath, it was for them to understand the Sabbath. They had the Word. They had the teaching. And they wanted to criticize him for doing anything on the Sabbath. It wasn't like he was traveling vast distances and doing work and cooking food or what all the things that they were so clamped down on. No. It was the fact that he was just doing anything. So, you know, a Sabbath day journey, you know, you could only walk a certain distance. Or you were sinning. So what the world needs now is for man to find a way to bring the love that he so cherishes, he so wants, into the world all by himself. We've already got the example, the definition, and the ability. So if it doesn't happen, then whose fault is it? We've got to stop blaming God for these things. I want to finish with uh, because in the progression of time here, remember I told you Luke is very chronological <clears throat> from verse 12 through about verse 17. And it goes on, every uh, thing that I start here in this chapter starts with, and it came to pass in those days. In other words, in the passing of time, that he went out into the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer with God, that is, Jesus did. And when it was day, he called his disciples, and there were a a number of disciples, quite a large number. We know there was at least uh, 70-some at one point. But out of his disciples, he chose 12. All right? He chose 12 of them. Also, he named that 12 apostles at that time. So he made a choice of 12 to be the apostles. The others were still disciples, were still amongst the group, uh, working on behalf of the the ministry, if you will. And who were they? (coughs) Simon, to whom also he gave the name of Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called Zealot, and Judas, brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, who was also his betrayer. Now he took these These twelve, and came down from the mountain, in in another place, I believe it's in the Gospel of John, it talks where he came down with the twelve and stood before the others and proclaimed them to be his apostles. Presented them to the people so they'd know who they were. And having descended with them, he stood on a level place and a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him. so they were healed of their diseases. And he did many other miracles, of course, at that time. <clears throat> so can you get a word picture there of all the different people involved, Jesus and the twelve? the other disciples and then a large multitude and he's in the, the he's in Galilee during this time he's not in Jerusalem he's in Galilee but people from all over not only the the 10 countries of the uh, of the of the east but <coughs> the area of Judah and Jerusalem and the sea coast over at Tyre and Sidon on the coast people from all over Palestine, all over the land of the Jews, as it's known, had came to hear him at this time. And so he called these his disciples and they, and named them and called them to be his apostles. And what does apostle mean? By the way, uh, this calling uh, was established at this time. But the... the uh, you, you may not know it, but there are many, even today, that are calling themselves apostles of Christ that are not apostles of Christ. The qualifications are found in Acts chapter 1 uh, to this. These are the apostles. And, of course, the apostle Paul is named at a later date. And the apostle uh, uh, that replaced Judas. Is also named, and through it we we have re- we have received the message. Now, it, the honor in this chapter. I would encourage you to read this the rest of this chapter concerning all the things that Jesus did. Um, what I like about this is that he was casting out demons there were many people possessed in those days but the relationship between demonic power then and now is different i've come to i've come to understand that through the bible it was different much different and they he uh, clean uh... drove out the unclean spirits they were healed and also The diseases, the lameness and whatever disease. But the next verse says, And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed all. The crowd, everyone wanted to touch Jesus in that day. Friends, how do we touch Jesus today? That's the point. And that is the that is the gospel message. The terms of pardon is to be is to actually touch Jesus as we respond to the gospel, as we contact the blood of Christ in our obedience to the gospel, as we repent, we confess our, our, our Lord before others, and we are buried in baptism, where we are born anew out of heaven touching and becoming part of the Lord himself. We are in Christ. That's how we are touching Jesus. But we don't have just a momentary touch. We have a complete touch, and it's something that we keep keep forgetting many times. We are not alone, even though uh, this concept if you ever want to help somebody that feels they're all alone in this world they have nothing or nobody, the solution to the problem is right here being in Christ. you'll never feel alone. I had I had an experience as a young young man a long way from home and I didn't realize that why I, I felt so at peace and comfortable until somebody told me about how alone they had felt before they were a Christian. And I put those things together and it came to me. I wasn't alone then at all. I had great, I had a great uh, peace about it, about it all, and, and, and not a very peaceful atmosphere a very unpeaceable atmosphere, a very dangerous atmosphere. That's the peace that we have. And that is what it is to touch Christ. As they touched him in that day, to be healed, so we can touch him in this day and be healed of our sins as we respond to the gospel. Those would be my words today. And... uh, we pray that you will consider them as we continue on this week in our work for the Lord with our song of invitation. Thanks to God for my Redeemer.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky?